I'm Ian Dark, and you're listening to Men in Blazers, sub-optimal radio on the Grantland Network. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! From the Embassy Row Studios, in the crap part of Soho, and from Gate G at the crap gate at Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. Good evening, my friend. Oh, yeah. What was that Dutch? It sounded way too not English to be Dutch. I don't know what it is right now. I don't know what from down, Dave. I've been here all day. I'm on the road calling yeah. you between between Alkmaar and Amsterdam. Yeah. I've been shooting all day with Aaron Johansson. Yeah. The great U.S. men's national team striker and the legendary Ernie Stewart, who's now technical director. Big hero of mine on the 94 World Cup team. One of uh, the original dual nationals together with one and the newest. It's been a bit of magic, Dave. The only thing that wasn't here was you. So paint me a picture, though, Rog. I'm sitting at the same table that I always am when I do it. Very important announcement in yep. the background. Staring at the empty chair where you usually sit. Paint me a picture. What are you doing? Are you standing up? Are you sitting down? What are you looking at? Who's around you? Um, I'm in a deserted part of Gate G, which yeah. is truly, truly anyone that's been to Schiphol, a beautiful airport in a beautiful city with a casino at the heart of it. And I think they've expared, uh, they've spared all expenses in Gate G. It's kind of like a uh, yeah. maximum security women's prison. That's kind yeah. of the vibe they've pulled off. There's also, I remember, there's a massive Heineken can or Heineken bottle in the almost lobby at Schiphol Airport. Oh, my that. God. I've met people under there, the giant I'm, Heineken. I've got to tell you, the way I'm feeling right now, I'd skirtle that giant Heineken if I could see it, David. I'd give it a good skirtling. I'm always in the mood to skirtle a Heineken. I've been on the canals. I've shot uh, Aaron Johansson skateboarding around the canal pass, being pulled by his French bulldog, Mia. Uh Uh, And a a lot of you have uh, tweeted me to find out if they can get an update on his down belows, because Aaron Johansson was... uh, was grabbed by one of his uh, one of his opponents in his old uh, meet and two veg at the weekend, and yeah, I want to make sure that Amer- America, yeah, America knows he survived the brutal attack, David. He has his uh, both his dignity and his uh, and his down belows are both very much intact. I'm off to Sunderland. <laughs> no, no ruptured testes. Um, well, you know what I mean. I can't confirm nor deny. <laughs> um, have you been to Sunderland, David? Have I been to Sunderland? No, I have never been to Sunderland. God, the sky must be so close to the ground in Sunderland. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to shoot Josie at bleak, beautiful Seaburn on the uh, on the water, and then on to Manchester to spend the day with Tim Howard wow. for the highlight, David. Speaking to you. Oh, it's going to be amazing. And uh, you fly back Thursday. Can't wait to see you, Rog. Uh, oh, okay. God, I need a cuddle. Uh, Rog, well, you, why do you need a cuddle? You just had the best weekend of your life. We've got a packed show today, Rog. We're going to perform post-mortems on all the games that matter. We're going to hear how Rog can make the greatest day of his life feel bleak and tinged with hopelessness. <laughs> uh, we're going to cuddle your ravens. We're going to talk about the mighty uh, Von Trapp's performance against Mexico and not really dwell on the second half. And then we're going to get Rog on his plane to Sunderland from Gate G. What airline are you flying to Sunderland, Rog? Um, you know what? I think it's KLM. I hope it's KLM. Uh, Royal Dutch Airlines. Ones. Royal Dutch yeah, Airlines. The only, the only way I fly. Uh, Rog, we're between uh, 33 38 and 31 38 of the way through this epic Premier League season. And it is as you were at the top of the table. All the big teams won. And yes, 
that does not include Arsenal. Let's start with the big one. Sunday's <laughs> race for the fourth place trophy, Rog. The race for Europe. The race for Champions League football next season. Everton 3 Arsenal nil. The race to avoid the Europa League is very much alive and well after a listing Arsenal failed to turn up at boisterous Goodison and Roberto Martinez, Saint Roberto of Martinez, tactically astute and joyous Everton notched their sixth. Sixth, Rog, sixth for this tired, tired Nigel. Straight win (laughs) in a row. Surely, Rog, even you finally have to admit, game on, you can smell Champions League football next season. Well, we'll get to that. I'll just say, Dave out. I loved this weekend. I loved it. This was less a game. I felt more like I was watching that classic Queen video for Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Everton. Is this a real life? Is this just fantasy? Arsenal. Caught in a landslide. No escape from reality. And the nicest part of the whole thing was that I had such little hope before the game, as you well know, Dave. I wouldn't allow I've myself. I've had more hope for Everton than you. That's, uh, you, uh, I mean, you are continuously glass half full. But the prospect of Champions League place, it felt about as real to me before the game as an email offer from a Nigerian spanner. <laughs> I, I, all I've known is pain, noble loss, crushing disappointment as an Evertonian. Uh, and I realised that that was under David Moyes. He conditioned us to noble, tortured failure. And I was, I think, managing expectations, which is what you told me that I do, protecting myself. It's football fan survival. But it was, it was a magic, magic event. It was like, it was fitting. It was like a bear pit. It was like Game of Thrones, uh, watching Sir Loris Tyrrell fight Gregor Clegane. And, ah, oh, they, Everton, they played, as Roberto would say, Davo, they played Sin Medio without fear. You know, he said after the game that this was their best performance this season. It's the best he's ever seen them play. I think the, the chairman, uh, uh, Bill Kenwright, uh, West End impresario, he said this is the best he's ever seen his team play. But when you watch those two teams go against each other, any doubt that Everton had before the game, that Everton fans had that they could do it, the results seemed inevitable within minutes. Within minutes, it seemed that one team believed they could win it and one team had no such sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got to say, the, the thing that turned my mind to that, that thought was that when Osman uh, was off within 10 minutes, his tackle seemed to set the tempo. I mean, to some degree, that cut in his head. Uh, Leon Osman died so we could all live through him, David. <laughs> and, then the, and then that ball from Baines, uh, Lukaku, chaos between Monreal and Vermaelen. And who swooped in, David? Who swooped the in? The most underrated the, player in world sport. Rod, in world sports. Stevie Ballondor Naismith. What you cannot see, you cannot stop. I've got to ask you this, Davo. Is Naismith the best crap footballer you've ever seen? I think he is the most underrated athlete in world sport, Rod. I think that's not... There is no superlative big enough for Stephen Naismith. Yeah, I mean, he's he's almost Dirk Koitesque in his crap sense of wonder. Uh, Translucens Latin, that's what I'm going to say. And he left Arsene Wenger in uh, Arlo White's poetic rendering, pulling a double teapot. Why is it, though, with Arsenal? They just, they never seemed like they wanted a fight. Was it that they were in the north? The natives were restless. There was damp in the air. The dressing room wasn't sufficiently heated. They really didn't turn up here, David, because I, I typed, obviously, your comment, have they scored too early? Not so. Five words, David, who 
wants to sex Lukaku. Who wants to sex Lukaku, David? I know, but it would be, it would be more, you know, fathomable to me if this were just a one-off failure to show up for a massive game this season. And this is, without any doubt for Arsenal, one of their most massive games all year. But you look now, against the top six, they have lost, lost away to all of their opponents in the top six. All five of their opponents in the top six they've lost to. And they have uh, only won once. Actually, at home to Liverpool, they beat them 2-0. That was a splendid result. They drew all their other home games against their opponents. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure Arsene Wenger was probably bright-siding this by saying at least it was just 3-0, it wasn't 5 or 6-0. But when that Lukaku goal went in, Dave, that Lukaku strike of wonder, I made a noise I have never, ever made before. It was <laughs> a deep was it? Where, where did it come out of, Rog? It came from deep, deep inside of me, Dave. It was like a guttural roar. It was a real football noise. Everyone has seen in Lukaku something remarkable, except Jose Mourinho, who wants a real striker. What a move. What a finish. Watching him, what a man. I mean, watching him jump in, into Roberto Martinez's delirious arms. Dos Acero, that is probably the happiest emotion I will experience this uh, this season. And we'll get to why that will be the happiest, because I have a very dark downside about the games that are to come. But the third, Kevin <laughs> Morales. Ridiculous. You really are ridiculous. Push, you know that, don't you? Pushing push the ball. We'll talk about it. But I mean, the third goal, Arteta, own goal, going in for the clash with Kevin Morales, very reminiscent to me of Landon Donovan's Algeria goal, 3-0. I could breathe again. I love that it came in off Arteta. Shakespeare would have said if you were an Everton fan, why revenge? The villain are you. Teach me. I will execute. As much as I love the win, Dave, probably the high point was mild-mannered janitor Leighton Baines going at it with Arteta. Chin jutted out, finger pointed. How dead to you is is Mikel Arteta right now? He's never never been deader, but at the same (laughs) time it affirmed to me that Everton are one of the most cohesive collectives in the Premier League. And in that regard, they, they remind me of the U.S. men's national team. Um, let's talk about Arsenal, David, because you were getting there. Out with thought, out muscled, out tactics, no win since March the 16th. Arsenal fans, what a savage season. Top of the table for so long. Now they're in a true fight for the big one. And they don't seem to have a stomach, the fourth place trophy. For the first time in Arsenal's history under Wenger, and so many Arsenal GFOPs, David. First time under Wenger, they may not make the Champions League. So many GFOPs are saying they're almost hoping for the worst now. Yeah, 21 goals conceded against their opponents in the top six. Only four goals scored away from home. I mean, just a shocking... You know, when it comes to the games, you'd have imagined Arsenal to have done done well in. Just a shocking failure to turn up. You know, a lot of Arsenal fans blaming Giroud, feeling like this is somehow Giroud's fault. What was he going to do in that game, Rog? Score four. It was the fact that they were losing again and again the midfield battle to the double act of Barry and Barkley, who dominated the centre of the park, Rog. Um, I, I, I'm off Terry for England now. I know that's never going to happen, Rog. But please... Can we can, can we bring Gareth Barry back and have him uh, support Steven Gerrard uh, in Brazil? Um, only if we sign a contract with him permanently before he goes off to Brazil, because he is absolutely gorgeous. And he and James McCarthy, 
I think, are two of the great unsung heroes at the Premier League level of the season. For me, Dave, Everton didn't just beat Arsenal. They killed off a demon. I mean, we've always entered a massive game knowing that we would nobly fail. It's such a hard road ahead. Nothing is more Everton than winning this, raising our hopes. And then they, who've they got at the weekend, Dave? Oh, Sunderland, who they lost at Goodison Park to start the rot in this season of phases. They got Crystal Palace. They could lose that game. Then they got United, Greek drama, Southampton, Man City and Hull. So much of the season is still to come, Dave. Winter's still coming. The Cossacks are always at the gate. Um, every joy, I've got the feeling, Dave, every joyous word that I spoke this weekend is going to end up as ashes in my mouth. I think, though, that even if Everton, I still believe you're going to make the Champions League, but even if you don't, you've still got Europa League football, Rog, coming. You seem to have really pulled out a major gap on, uh, on Manchester United and Tottenham for that Europa League place. Uh, you know what? I don't want Europa League. The solace I would take from not making uh, the Champions League, Dave, they can never take Stephen Nathan <laughs> away from me. You're very, very true. Uh, West Ham 1, Liverpool 2, Rog. Uh, good refereeing, 0. Awful, awful refereeing, 2. West Ham fight like a 4am bar brawler after their 18th shot of Jägermeister. That actually might be how Andy Carroll was fighting. But Liverpool escaped from London with three points thanks to two Stephen Jarrah penalties. To return to the top of the table as the Game of Thrones promotion that is the clash against Manchester City awaits next weekend. What a physical skirmish, David. Andrew Luck must have loved the like 10 yards and pile of dust of it all. This was not Liverpool's finest display. But again, a half-time recalibration by Brendan Rodgers, the much-mocked by some on this show, Shored up the midfield. He brought on Lucas. Coutinho's off. And his team found a way to win. Ninth straight win, Dave. Ninth straight win. 32 goals. Seven from Steven Gerrard. This was Liverpool's 12th penalty of the season. I think really the big talking point was just continued insanity of the current state of refereeing. Yeah. It's done. We need the robots. We are heavily supporting... The, uh, the cyborgs in the fight against humanity in terms of the refereeing race. I mean, Rog, what I would say is, for me, this you, you mentioned that they won ugly, but to me, this is in some ways was the most impressive Liverpool result of the last few weeks. There was going to come a time when they weren't going to be firing on all cylinders, when they were going to be... And West Ham came at them. I've got to tell you, West Ham uh, looked good, especially in the first half of this game. And uh, Liverpool, not playing well, eked out the result. This is what they're going to have to do in squeaky bum time, the end of this Premier League season, if they want to win it all. Yeah, I mean, but you who hateth the referee system, and I admire your hatred of it, this is probably the game that turned it too much, too much. I mean, Carroll punching Mignolet in the chops, albeit with a healthy push from Martin Skirtle. Um, everyone saw it. Everyone saw it but the referee. Yeah. And they popped it up on the video screen so that everyone could see it again, and the referee turned his back on it. At Tom Eldon tweeted us, Skirtle is probably looking at the video screen, saying to himself, I can punch people in the back of the head. Um, one bad call begets another. There's a dodgy call for the penalty on Flanagan. Um, but perhaps it's for the best, because if the drawer had stood, Davo, Andy Carroll, God, poor Andy Carroll, he would have been about as popular in Liverpool as Joe Pesci at the end of Goodfellas. <laughs> um, and I agree with you. Credit Liverpool. They did. They toughed out the win. They didn't fire on all cylinders. They re reclaimed the top spot in the Premier League. 
Um, and Lucas, when he threw Lucas on, it wasn't just bang Lucas on, let's have him in his kind of typical defensive shield role. They tweaked their, their, their tactics. They played him in a slightly advanced position. And he drove West Ham back um, in, in a way that was, I mean, just absolutely sophisticated recalibration. This Man City did game, Dave. It could be for all the marbles. Yeah, without a doubt. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, Fantastic. it's also going to be, it should be said, the head of the 25th anniversary of the Hillsborough tragedy, um, which is April 15th. Um, emotions are going to be raw. They're going to be boisterous. They're going to be beautiful in a way that only Merseyside football can be. I, I've spent a lot of time over the past couple of weeks with a Brazilian national team because um, I'm making this film about them. And when you talk to the You're players... You're making so many films. They, You're making as many films as Alfred Hitchcock right now, Rog. Oh, Dave, he's a lot younger than I feel right now, and he's a lot slimmer. But um, the, the, when you chat to the Brazilian national team and you look through history at uh, the way they face their World Cup campaigns, they continuously talk about the World Cup as if they are destined uh, by God's choice to win it. Uh, and looking at this Liverpool campaign, Dave, I'm starting to believe that the players are beginning to feel the same, that they are the team of destiny. Yeah, it's huge. They are the Kentucky uh, well, we'll see if they win tonight. That could sound stupid. They are the Kentucky of the English Premier League. Um, uh, Rog, uh, you just mentioned Man City coming up. That's this weekend. An amazing game. They've even got Norwich away and then Chelsea at home. What a huge, huge two and a half weeks coming up for Liverpool Football Club. Rog, talking of Chelsea, they bounced back. Bounced back ability. I love it in the face. Chelsea 3, Stoke nil. Bereft of Rudy Strikers, Jose Mourinho barely breaks a smile as Mohamed Salah runs rampant against a pedestrian, to say the least, Stoke City. Though Chelsea briefly go top, their coach derives as little pleasure from that as is humanly possible. I've never, I've never even seen Arsene Wenger looking that unhappy, Rog. No, Dave, another turning point in a season of turning points. Chelsea look like they're on the ropes. In come bruising Stoke with a foot-stamping Charlie Adam. Uh, but they were dispatched with ease. Uh, Egyptian newspapers proclaimed Mohamed Salah is the king of Stamford Bridge, the man known as Egyptian Messi. What a game. Involved in all three goals. First start, first time finish. Um, I just love Mourinho when he scored. The bench were jumping up and down in raptures. Uh, Mourinho barely flinched. Absolutely barely flinched. It was as if he was like, oh no, what are you doing? Sending us back to the top of the table again. I'd said we were out of the race. <laughs> he then won the penalty, set up Willen for the rifle finish and the crazy uh, finger goal celebration. Chelsea win without a quote real striker, David. Well, it shouldn't really be a shock. Chelsea have been rather good at home uh, all season, or at least for almost all of the season. Um, and they just play very differently at home uh, than on the road. And uh, this is a game that they got up for. You sort of sense that they were going to bounce back after the struggles they've had in the recent, uh, you know, over the, you know, the previous week, previous um, seven days. And it was a very good performance, emphatic performance, and a very good result. However, it was uh, matched by uh, their rivals to the Premier League title uh, later that day. I don't have a lot else to say about Chelsea. Rog, well, me, it let, is let what it is. Let me ask you a quick one. Let yeah. me ask you a couple of quick ones. I don't like to use these two words together, Dave, and I've tried to avoid it. Yeah. But Fernan Fernando Torres, mm -hmm. Tony Miola told me that the 1990 US World Cup team, he said they got outplayed so badly in, the, in many of their games 
He said it was as if they'd been given really, really good tickets to watch some of the world's best footballers play up close. That's what I felt like watching Fernando Torres play right now. He was just a spectator. Yeah, I think the only thing you could say, Rod, is he was, uh, is, you know, at least he wasn't outshone by Andre Schurler against, uh, <laughs> you know, against PSG. But yeah, look, I don't know what exactly Jose Mourinho is thinking about how he's managing his strikers. I think he's lumped with, with uh, Torres. I don't think there's anything he can do about it. Torres, um, whereas I think that even his fiercest critics would have to say, that until recent weeks, Torres has always shown maximum effort, has always tried to find other ways to contribute to the team, and actually started the year, I think, by scoring in successive Premier League games, or at least being the only striker who for Chelsea has scored on the road all season. Uh, but now he is looking particularly out of sorts. This has been his worst spell in a Chelsea jersey, and there have been some very, very poor spells. But I, uh, I feel great. Where You have always said you feel so sorry for him. I haven't felt sorry for him until now. Now I feel like he looks lost. He looks bereft of hope. He looks bereft of form. And he has a manager who he knows exactly how he thinks about him. Must be terrible. Well, the great Having said God that, he's making about $6 billion a week. And a lot of tissues you can buy to wipe up those tears. Avant-garde Dutch legend Johan Cruyff, David, lashed yeah. out. Love this. Uh, Mourinho today he said, Mourinho takes credit for his team's performances when things go well, but he blames the players when they lose. Beginning to suggest that Jose may lose the changing room at Chelsea like he did at Real Madrid if he continues in this path. Interesting timing. Interesting comments. You get a feeling don't you, that Mourinho feels a little hard done by or a little, he feels a little, he feels it's a little unfair. And by the way, there are segments of Chelsea support who feel it's unfair that everybody is allowed to call Fernando Torres crap and make fun of him and say terrible things about him. And yet the second that Jose Mourinho questions whether or not he's any good as a striker, somehow it's the worst thing ever. But that is your job as manager. You are not your job as the coach of this team. If you don't want a player anymore, ship him off. If you can't ship him off, you've got to get the best performance you possibly can out of him. The way he's treating him right now is not going to get that performance. Having said that, I'm not going to question Mourinho's track record as a manager, as a coach. It has been absolutely fantastic. Only he knows why Jose does the things that Jose does. And um, you know what? To some extent, I think we've got to let him go on. He will not care what Johan Cruyff is saying about him. He will not care about what British papers are saying about him. He will not care about what opposing managers say about him. He might care about you, Rog, though. I wouldn't put that past him. Well, and what I'll say, if you're listening, Joe, say you've taken on your strikers. You've taken on the poor ball boys. But don't. Joe say, don't defame the Premier League table, Dave. When he said at the end of the game, the table again is fake. It's a fake he table. Can't publicly, he can't, <laughs> can't publicly, say that publicly slander our fractions, Dave. We'll have nothing else if he publicly slanders no, our fractions. I think fractions. he believes don't in our fractions. Way, I think he believes in our fractions. <laughs> I think he's a man who believes in the significance of our fractions. Um, for me, Rog, another fantastic, fantastic game of football this weekend. Man City 4, uh, Southampton 1. City took their time to find their stride, but they soon swatted a very impressive Southampton side aside. A sorry sight for England fans as informed striker Jay Rodriguez. That was a very sad moment, Rog. Stretch it off with knee ligament damage. Looked awful. Looked absolutely awful. You know, I don't understand, Rog. Southampton looks so good. They played so well, once again, particularly in the first half of this game. Ended up going into the uh, tunnel 2-1 down and then just conspired in the second half to just uh, to, to really be outmatched and to, and, and to fall um, apart. I don't know why they're not better. 
I mean, I just look at it, that City is so erratic. I mean, they opened up, they brazenly scored too early. Uh, one of the most self-destructive penalties you'll see given away this season uh, by Southampton's Fonte. A little back flick that allowed Dzeko to feel gravity more than most. And Yaya uh, stroke City uh, into the lead past Saints. Boy goalkeeper Gazianaga. Um, five goals in his last four for Torre. Three of them coolly taken penalties. More and more, Davo, our great man, who we love, but he only seems to be on the field to take the penalties and to try and dive to win penalties. Um, Southampton came back in this game. I mean, they were, they, they were absolutely resilient. Not only had they leaked a goal, but Jay Rodriguez, who'd scored five goals in his last four games, horrible, horrible, horrible moment when he landed on his knee and the thing buckled. It was just a gutter to watch such young, joyful talent, joyful English talent stretched off uh, with what was announced today to be a torn ACL. Rog, He's going joyful, to be out of the World Cup. Yeah, Rog, joyful English talent with a foreign name. I mean, one of our favourite <laughs> forms of English talent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to see him taken off, David, head in hands with his World Cup dreams eviscerated. Made me think, David, how many World Cup-bound players do you think are easing up with the tournament on the horizon? Yeah, no, I mean, I think they're, they're, that will be going through some players' mind, but it tends to be when you ease up that you tend to get injured. Uh, I must say, very impressive for me. I mean, a player who really caught my eye this weekend, who I remember watching in the uh, Britain's World Cup squad and uh, when he used to be on Chelsea's books, Jack Cork. Uh, you know, a player that we've, I'm not sure we've ever talked about him on the podcast before, Rog, but superb performance, had me scrambling to go and see if he'd somehow crazily uh, given his international eligibility away to Ireland, but it was a, uh, he looked superb in the middle of the park. Lalana Lambert, you know, much more creative than I'd ever given him credit for, and yet they get hammered at the end of the day. They got absolutely hammered. Yeah, I mean, Erratic City did veer back into greatness. Uh, by the way, a funny thing about the Etihad that I noticed. Yeah. You watch the Liverpool game, Anfield, absolutely bonkers. You watch the Everton game, Goodison Park, absolutely heaving. You watch City, Etihad, oddly, oddly quiet, even though they need to rule their team on to get back into a game that was suddenly tied up. Um, I mean, City, they do, they just veer between, they're almost bipolar. I mean, they have very flat periods in the game. And then exquisite passing by Yaya, the flick by Dzeko, um, Silva radically offside, but very, very City. Uh, Nazari swoops in to finish off the move. And before Southampton could even open their sweet little mouths to complain, um, their boy goalkeeper flaps at the ball. Dzeko heads home emphatically. Uh, I mean, they had beautiful head. It was almost John Terry-esque. It was that good. <laughs> they are bipolar, Davo. They play potent football for spells, and then at others, they seem to be stumbling around the field as if they're in a pit of life. Where are you on Edin Dzeko right now? Because he really has had a pretty good season. I mean, he's the, I think he is the epitome of Manchester City football. He can be absolutely clinical. Um, he can be almost shocking uh, in his lackadaisical approach and touch in front of goal. I mean, right now, with Negredo going through an incredibly flat period, Cunaguero trying to shore up his strength and really thinking World Cup, World Cup, City are going to go as Eden Dzeko goes, which is a wonderful uh, thought for neutrals and probably quite terrifying for City. The game ended with City fans singing to Southampton. And this, to me, Dave, this is modern football. They sang, we're going to buy all your players. We're going to buy all your players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, think, just think about that just think about that David yeah it's pretty alarming it really is alarming it's certainly a number of teams lining up for Lalana 
uh, Luke Shaw, and I think Jack Cork just got added to that list as well. Uh, Rod, let me let me ask, let me ask you this, Dave. Ahead yeah. of the Liverpool clash, Pellegrini reveled after the game. He said. I'm very happy for football. This game's coming. We both play aggressive, ambitious football. But if you were him, Davo, if you were Pellegrini, if you were the thin man, would you play to win at Anfield or would you set out to get a point? That is a really, really good question, Rod. I think that, you know, this is where the change of rule of three points for a win from two points for a win makes all the difference in the world. I think three points are so valuable. Um, I think they have to play for a win. You know, they're four points behind Liverpool right now. They do have two games in hand. So a draw might be enough. But you just never know what's going to happen elsewhere. I think you want to beat them. And our Man City programmed to be a team who can play that kind of way. I'm not sure that they can just defend. I'm not sure that's a team that I'd want to see defend for 90 minutes. I've got to tell you, I had a dream about this game on my flight to Holland. Yeah. Liverpool, they just ran rampant down the flanks, and City could not stop them. Lucas shackled David Silva. Yaya Toure was leaden-legged. Suarez and Sturridge feasted on City's confused backline. Wasn't even close the game, Dave. It was not even close. I don't think that Liverpool can get enough handle on the ball in midfield. I don't know why Yaya Toure would be leaden-legged in your uh, in, in your scenario. It must be some form of external force that would go and make that happen. I think Yaya Toure was, should, in that game, was, dominate the, the centre of the park. Just, 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 to be, uh, just to be clear, it wasn't my scenario. It was a dream, and it was sent to me by God. <laughs> okay, got it. I understand. Uh, nothing to do with your subconscious. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's... Uh, but it's interesting stuff. Okay, Rog, I know you're avoiding talking about Manchester United, but Newcastle nil, Manchester United four. They're creeping back up the table, Rog, finishing well. The best away team in the Premier League, Manchester United, Rog, in the battle to prove who is the more mediocre United, Newcastle burnished their credentials by uh, wilting impotently. Juan Mata revels alongside Shinji Kagawa. It's a battle of the Manchester United fielding all their smalls, Rog. David Moyes looked like a man who wanted to rip off his pants in joy. Yeah, and so he showed eight changes for United. Trip to Bayern on the horizon. No RVP, no Rooney. No problem. Four goals from four shots on goal. What's the matter, you, David? Well, I mean, I think that, unfortunately, when Manchester United win this emphatically... And you look at how good their away record has been, not against the elite teams, but they've won a lot of games against the mid-table and the lower table. Why have Manchester United not at least, at the very least, replicated that form at home this season, in which case they would be contending very, very heavily for the top four, if not for the title? That is one of the great questions in football. I mean, to do with pressure, pressure of expectation, Moyes, cautious not a man who sets out to dominate games. And it's, I mean, that, to me, is the Moyes... Uh, that's the Moyes effect. But, I mean, um, I mean, this is the thing, Rog. He's made such a big deal. You know what? My players, I just was in, what I've inherited, my players weren't good enough. And yet they've been good enough to have the best away record in the Premier League. Surely then they're good enough to go and have the best home record. Yeah, I mean, with this game, they did pretty well. First shot on goal, matter that rainbow set piece. Um, oh, he made it look so easy. It was actually incredibly difficult because uh, the set piece was so close. I mean, that second goal, Dave, I loved how he put Colaccini on his bum before finishing coolly. Happy feet to his back. 
But let me ask you, is it possible, is it humanly possible to not like Juan Mata, to not wish him well? I would like to meet the man who does not like Juan Mata. Perhaps there's someone I mean, who we went to elementary school with who Juan Mata did something terrible to him in the playground, but I think on the whole it's impossible it, not to love him. It must, have been, it must have been an accident. I always believe there's even on teams you despise, there's always someone you have to admire. Yeah. I mean, funny enough, it was Paul O'Neill, we talked about this on the early 90s Yankees, I just loved his bizarre intensity. Matters that to me and more. And he made the point of name-checking the play of Shinji Kagawa after what a poor season, what an awful, humiliating season he's had. But he looked absolutely phenomenal. Yanashai to Kagawa to Chicharito, resummoning his finishing of your... Um, and well, you have to say, Newcastle's defending uh, can only be described as Tottenham Hotspur-esque. Um, and by the way, Alan Pardew is overseeing a massive pile of numb pain up there at Newcastle. <laughs> Literally, so, from, so, from the stands. from Not from uh, pitch level anymore, either. Is there a more cliched broadcasting shot than a Newcastle fan leaving after about 55 <laughs> minutes? Um, I mean, United, I have to say, they're inventive in movement. They were clinical in their finishing. I haven't seen them like this all season. Goal after goal that made the blood flow faster, gave everyone the thickening. If I were Moyes, I'd let Kagawa, Mata, Yanashai, Chicharito go loose on Bayern Munich and see where the cards lie. Okay, Rog, let's sully ourselves with the, uh, with the bottom of the table, or let at least me sully myself. I know you love the bottom <laughs> of the table. Uh, it's looking bleak for a few teams down there uh, now, Rog. Uh, and, of course, uh, mainly where your destination at the end of your flight today, Sunderland, uh, 25 points on the bottom. Cardiff, right, just one point above them on 26. Fulham, uh, 27. And then a gap, Norwich City, uh, five points ahead, 32 West Brom 32, Swansea 33, Palace 34, Aston Villa 34. Those seem to be the teams who are yeah. somewhat in the fight, but it's looking like that bottom three right now, Rog. Seven points between six teams, Dave. Sunderland may be bottom. They've got two games in hand. The table is fake. The table is fake. And people laughed at Crystal Palace. They laughed at Tony Poulis. Jason Punchin has made us laugh more than most. What they've achieved over the past month, I think, is absolutely phenomenal. And Felix Magath, too, got to say, Fulham, Magath, he does look like a slightly menacing advert for Warby Parker, but he's just been a slice of magic. Potent football, summoned from some fatigue components. Um, and we are beginning, Davo, we are beginning this weekend, you saw it in Norwich City. We're beginning to see the true relegation passion kick in. I mean, the fans there threw their plastic clappers onto the field. Uh, Chris Hewton, nice guy manager, got fired. Um, we've said that the relegation teams are those most unstable off the field, almost, rather than on it. And the Canaries appear to be making a late charge to grab that crown. We also saw Cardiff's David Marshall feeling destroyed after leaking that goal uh, to Palace. And you can see the stress is starting to kick in. Congratulations, it should be said, or as they oh, say in Leicester the Midlands. Mazeltoff, Leicester City, home club of Arlo White, back in the top flight after 10-year absence, David. Yeah. Welcome back. The former club of Davo's favourite, Emil Heskey. Uh, Rog, and, be good and to some see great players. Steve, Steve Guffey, Muzzy, is it? And Casey Keller. It is gorgeous to have them back. At Tob Hebden said, at Men in Blazers, better get ready to start talking about Leicester City next year. Foxes <laughs> yeah. are yeah. back. Yeah, we love Leicester City and Casper Schmeichel. Uh, great stuff. Um, okay, Rog, on to the Ravens from Scott Davis. You gents always say that the first rule of friendlies is don't read too much into friendlies. But what should we make of US 2, Mexico 
two. Which half do we hope Ghana, Portugal and Germany watched? Well, which half do we hope? Do we want them to watch the half where the Von Trapps didn't play that well and then they get... Uh, and then they get a, a, a full sense of security. They think they're way better than the Von Trapps, and they get surprised down in Brazil. Or do we want them to watch the first half and be somewhat intimidated by how well the U.S. can play? I hope they watch the second half, David. I need false confidence. I yeah. need them to believe the U.S. are a team that will be swatted aside. I mean, World Cup, 70 days out, it's all about finding the right combinations. This U.S. team, they do it in such a weird way with these split squads. So they get the Europeans together against Ukraine. They then get the Americans together uh, to play Mexico in a stadium. I mean, God, is there any better way to, p- to prepare for the craziness that is Manaus than by playing in Arizona uh, before a stadium that's 80% screaming Mexicans? God love Michael Bradley. He's the American Jason Statham. I love watching a bull bloke kicking ass, making everyone around him feel safe and trauma-free. How many Premier League teams, Dave could Michael Bradley walk into right now, right here, right now? Yeah, we talked about this on the radio. My initial reaction was 15 of 20, and I'm standing by that. I'm standing by that. I mean, he it's not only his defensive midfield work. I mean, I think in this game he got further forward. Beckerman played much more in the traditional holding role and sat in front of the back four. And it's Bradley's box-to-box ability. It's his... It's his um, it's his forward play. It's his vision. It's that mix of, of brains and brawn that I love about the man so much. Um, yeah, I think, it, I think it'd march in to a bunch of the teams. Having said that, I don't understand why he didn't succeed at AS Roma. They, they didn't exactly, he didn't exactly fail at Roma. They had a management change. The management the manager wanted aggressive football. Um, they had De Rossi um, and they had Pjanic. Uh, playing together, and um, and Bradley decided he wanted full-time football and he wanted a leader team. Um, but it, it, just, it wasn't just his, his hard running. It wasn't just his pressing, which was remarkable. It's the visionary kind of passing that he's added to the game that really makes me marvel. I agree Kyle Beckerman was terrific. Um, it was fascinating to watch Julian Green come off the bench. He's a lovely kid. It uh, means the world for him to play uh, on this U.S. team. I mean, he was knocked down. He got up again. I thought he was very courageous. I liked his speed. I'd like to see a lot more of him. Uh, we filmed his dad, Jerry, during the national anthem. He's an ex-serviceman, Davo. It's one of the most beautiful scenes we've shot so far as he saw his son uh, take the field and the, uh, and the American national anthem play and a tear, a single tear ran down his cheek. Utterly beautiful. Now let's talk about the bad, the back line, all of it, up in the air. Um, when I put my head on the pillow and think about Cristiano Ronaldo running at pretty well anyone apart from Matt Besler, Davo, I crap the bed. I crap the bed. I can't tell a lie. Landon Donovan. He looked like Betty Draper in a fancy. <laughs> I do not know what is going on there. And a quick word on the jersey. We'll say no more than the, the 94 jersey, the stonewashed denim jersey. If Twitter had been invented back in 94, I'm sure that would have got battered too. It's how you play in the jersey that makes it great. Yeah, I made one comment on that. I went to Modell's this weekend. My uh, daughter, JJ, was desperate for a soccer shirt. She really wanted a soccer shirt. We went into the Modell's just north of uh, City Hall Park in New York. They only had one soccer jersey in the entire store, which was the new U.S. Uh, national team away jersey. And JJ took one look at it, and that was the only jersey they had, and just went, no, don't fancy it. <laughs> a quick point, Dave. Yeah. Fascinating. 
the big story that no one is really talking about, the coaching change. Jürgen demoting his long-time number two, Martin Vasquez, replacing him with German player legend Bertie Vokes, a mixed record Bertie's had as a coach, and also bringing in Tab Ramos. I was interviewed by German TV, David, uh, when I was in Phoenix. Uh, you know, I've got a big heart. I'm willing to forgive. They were obsessed with the news about Bertie Vokes, but it, they were also shocked that it hadn't made a ripple in the States. Um, I asked them, how big is the Julian Green to the U.S. news in Germany? How big is it? Because it's quite massive here. They said it had barely made the newspapers. That The German uh, journalist, he goes, we, we, we are living in a trout farm. You've taken one of our little trouts. That's how it should be his nickname, David. Julian Green, Little Trout. Little Trout is so there. I mean, it, it speaks volumes about our priorities here. Yeah, no, without a doubt. You're so right about the back line, Rog. For me, we obsess about the creative midfielders, Josie's form, who's going to score the goals, Julian Green. And yet, what is going to affect the outcome of that group of death, Rog, is how well the U.S. men's national team play at the back, how well they play defensively. That doesn't only mean the back line. It doesn't only mean the goalkeeper. It doesn't only mean the defensive midfielders. It's how the forwards press. It's how the forwards, you know, are the, being the first line of defense. It's how hard the whole team works as a collective unit. But I still, what I'm most worried about with the U.S. men's national team is how well they defend, and that's what I hope we're going to really see some progress on as we go through the final warm-up games uh, before the World Cup. By, by the way, to put, by the way, it means two things. Number one, come back, feature and life. Just give us one more chance. And yeah. number two, I'm in Holland, and and they're all crapping it too, Dave. Everyone I've spoken to is talking about how their World Cup is doomed. They too are in a dark group with Chile and Spain. Uh, they too um, have kind of forward issues. RVP is fitness, is chemistry with the team, is chemistry with uh, Robin and Schneider. But most of all, their lack of centre-backs. They're funneling through young centre-backs, trying to find the right combination. Uh, it's not just the United States. This is, this is what's going on in many, many, many outfits right now as, as they're playing friendlies and living and dying with the results of each one. Uh, but there's many puzzle pieces that still need to be put together across Europe right now. It's not just the United States phenomenon. Well, look, the reality is, is there are not that many great centre-backs in world football. It's a, it, it's a position where... You know, even nations who produce a lot of them, like England, are failing to produce many top-level uh, centre-backs who've got the speed and the distribution ability to succeed uh, in the international game. Uh, from Keeland Reagan. What a fantastic name. That could be Keeland Regan or Keeland Reagan. We're not sure, but an excellent American name. As Julian Green, Little Trout, has agreed to join the U.S. men's national team, and you have both spoken about your children scoring scads of goals in their youth teams. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that my children score scads of goals. It got me thinking, will your children be battled over in a few years' time for their services in the U.S. men's national team or U.S. women's national team? I'm assuming that your children were born in the U.S., and are therefore natural-born citizens, eligible for the presidency, and more importantly, service on our national teams. What say the men in blazers? Will I be rooting for a Bennett or Davies in years to come? Go ahead, Rog. Uh, I love this question, Dave. My, my kids could actually play for England, the United States, or Israel, Dave. They've got wow. three countries to choose from. And I've thought about this quite a lot. I've talked to my kids about it. First of all, I want to go on the... Uh, well, I'd never want any of my kids to actually become professional footballers. If you spend enough time around Premier League stars, that, it'll do that to a person. But if my children defy me, and I do expect them to defy me, David, don't you expect your kids to defy you? No, not really. It's not a Davis trait. Uh, 
Um, it's very much a Bennett trait. And if they do decide to become professional footballers, they do succeed uh, in MLS, which is no doubt in my heart where they'll play. They've told me they're going to play for the United States of America. And I couldn't be proud at the land of Jonathan and Jennifer Hart, Dana Plato, John Hughes. Uh, I've got to say, when I first came to this country, I found it hilarious that you played the national anthem before every sports game. But the older I get, the more it makes me tear up and sob. Uh, I mean, I love hearing that song. I think that's how I feel about that's how I feel about the Champions League theme. <laughs> I mean, I do. I, I say, I wake up every morning. I thank God I live in New York City. It's something I'll never take for granted. And, and finally, for me, Jurgen Klinsmann's son Jonathan just started to play for the United States Under 18 team. So if it's good enough for Jurgen, David, it's good enough for the old Rodge. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, I really doubt any of my children are going to end up playing. Where are your girls going? Well, I don't know that they'll end up playing for the U.S. women's national team. And one of them doesn't play football at all. The one who does is very keen. Um, But I don't think she's going to end up being a soccer player, more likely to be a golfer, in which she will definitely play Curtis Cup uh, for, for, for Europe. She feels very European, you know. Uh, her mother is Swedish. She's eligible to play for Sweden, eligible to play for uh, for uh, Britain, eligible to play for the United States as well. But I think she'd choose Europe. I think the, the little boy, George, a little too early to tell, he's very, very left-footed, Rog. Uh, but mostly he just wants to be a pirate. That's really what he's most uh, interested in right now. And pirates, of course, have no nation. But by, by definition, pirates cannot represent any nation. Okay, Rog, uh, this is what your weekend looks like. Liverpool versus Man City on Sunday, April 13th, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time, NBC Sports Network. Oh, Rebecca Lowe was good this weekend, Rog. Swansea versus Chelsea on Sunday, April 13th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on NBC Sports Network. The FA Cup semi-final, FA Cup specialists, Wigan versus Arsenal on Saturday, April 12th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Sports 2. On Fox Sports 2, could are you a, kidding me? Could be, could, be, could be a shock in that one, David. Well, they're putting it on Fox Sports 2, so no one will see it. And the FA Cup uh, semi-final. Arsenal could win it. Yeah, well, nobody will see it. FA Cup semi-final, Hull versus Sheffield United on Sunday, April 13th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Fox Sports 1. Many ways to connect to us, Rog. One is through our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you uh, you go to Amazon, you need to go to Amazon to buy something, big or small, just go there through the Emporium page at meninblazers.com, and Men in Blazers gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost bought, of I just bought a television for you, David. Oh, God, I love that. Thanks so much. I love TV. Are you then putting this TV in the Emporium? No, no, no. I fixed it on my wall. I oh. put it in the Emporium. But I used our widget. It felt very, very... I mean, I felt like I was getting myself a TV and giving you, uh, giving you a small percentage, David. I assume it's a Sony. Uh, it's actually a Samsung. Sorry, Dave. Um, Emporium choice. I'm in Holland. Well, that's Chelsea. It's a, pro, it's a pro-Chelsea purchase, Roger. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't think of that, um, did you? I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send it back. It's like supporting Chelsea by buying a Samsung. The the, the, the Changmate television, David. I'm going to look into that one. First thing I do when I get back. So what do you put in the Emporium, Rog? Well, I'm in Holland, as you can uh, hear behind me. This beautiful, persistent woman. Speaking Um, English perfectly. I'm in the Netherlands. Yes, and German, and Holland. Every single announcement in triplicate. (laughs) Um, I I picked up two gorgeous books. One which you know well. Brilliant Orange. Uh, by David Winner, the great writer. Um, it's a gorgeous history, a very thoughtful, creatively written history of just the avant-garde 
football that emanates from this tiny, tiny country. I drove across it today, and it was a reminder of just how tiny and intensely flat this country is. I love the descriptions. I love the way it describes Johan Cruyff as Pythagoras in cleats. Uh, but also another book, also one of my favourites. Um, it's, it's definitely a more kind of uh, pricey choice, but I'd, I would just encourage anyone that's fascinated by European football to buy it. Great Dutch photographer, uh, Hans van der Meer, European Fields, the landscape of lower league football, a gorgeous um, art book by a guy that spent years travelling around Europe just shooting with a really long lens, local football games taking place all over Europe. Um, and, and just capturing the different kind of atmospheres in which the game we love so much thrives on a local level is an exquisite, exquisite book. Both I can't highly recommend enough. Rog, do you have a son between the age of two and five who loves pirates? Do you know anybody <laughs> who has a son between the age of two and five who loves pirates? Do you have a daughter who loves pirates or know someone who has a daughter who loves pirates? If so, you may like the Lego 10514 Jake's Pirate Ship Bucky set. I must say, got this from my son George this weekend. As I've already mentioned, he loves pirates. It's Duplo, so it's easy to build. It's got a Jake, the pirate, the one from the Disney Channel show. It's got a Captain Hook. It's got cannons, Rog, that fire real cannonballs but still won't take your eye out. It's an excellent piece of Lego. It's excellent for anyone who loves pirates. How old's how old George, David? Three years old, Rog. Three. Have you taken him to see Tom Hanks' Captain Phillips yet? I have not. I love that film, though. Should have won, got robbed, should have won the Academy Award. I, I think that'll cure him of wanting to be a pirate, David. Get his mind back on representing the US football and no time. I got you. You're absolutely right. Uh, okay, Rog, you've got a flight to catch. We've got to get you on it. Uh, thank you for your yeah. phenomenal effort to contribute to the podcast from Skipole Airport. I apologise. I want to apologise to all GFOPs that this has been a th- this has been like a little threesome for you and me. There's you, there's me, and there's the third. There's the woman in blazers. There's the Schiphol announcer going on in the background. She's been banging on all night. No one works harder. Here she is. Let's listen to her. <laughs> oh, please get me a picture, Rog. <laughs> oh, there she is. Apologies to all, David, but I love you. And uh, what she's saying right now. Um, she's saying that my flight is backing off from the, uh, from the game. <laughs> you probably missed the whole it. thing too much. <laughs> uh, okay, Rog. Have a great flight. Vendorpunkt. War pig. Who wants to sex Matumbo? Oh, wheels within wheels, David. Feral donkeys. Kung Fu Fight in America. Kung Fu Fight in Holland. Coup de la font, David. <laughs> Coup de la font. Little trout. Love you, Rog. I love you, mate. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.